0: Hey, y'all, you're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. Today, I'm talking with Director of Partnerships at Tech Square Labs, a tech startup hub and venture capital fund, founder of the Ambition Fund, an investment company focused on funding businesses founded by women and minority entrepreneurs, and one of the stars of The Real Housewives of Atlanta, my girl, Ms. Tandy Sam.
1: Hi, I'm Drina. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm so good. I feel like I'm very excited to be here. This is, you know, fun times because it's just like you get to chat with your girl about all things that we love: business, entrepreneurship, building success. So let's do it.
0: Yeah. Did I miss anything in your intro? You do so many things, so I want to make sure I got it right. I, I forgot fashionista. <laughs> She'd
1: be laying Um, these fashions out, okay? No, I mean, I feel like I'm coming out of the pandemic just trying to do as much as I can to, you know, share stories of success. I just launched a new um, television show called Making of a Mogul, Mm -hmm. which is sort of a docuseries drama following incredible entrepreneurs and moguls in their own industries and rights, really showcasing them as the new rock stars, like entrepreneurs and business owners that have done really incredible things to grow their businesses and be successful. So that's really exciting and coming soon to a network near you.
0: Yes. Entrepreneurs are rock stars. Say that. Yeah. So me and you met maybe like two years ago, I think right before you were getting ready to like debut on Housewives and we've, we've worked together. We're friends. We've went on a trip together. together. (laughs) I just love you, Tanya time. That's what I call her. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about just your story and how you got to this place because folks know you as Tanya, the fun girl, the fashion slayer on Housewives of Atlanta, but (laughs) there's so many layers to you. And I want to kind of talk about that. So let's talk about how you got here today in the tech space in Atlanta, Georgia, the incubator for black success in the housewives. But I always start these interviews with this one question that I I love because it lets people like just reflect on like, what did I write down? So (laughs) what did you write in your high school yearbook when you were graduating, when it said, I will be XYZ in 10 years? What did you write?
1: Oh my god. Okay, so I probably wrote I will be a doctor because I came from a very medical family. My dad was an immigrant came from Ghana, West Africa to Canada to go to med school in like the 50s. Was really like the only black man walking around Alberta, Canada. So in my household, you know, immigrant parents are like very very strict on this. They they're like you can be one of three things, doctor, lawyer or failure. So Mm -hmm. I probably wrote that. Now, the second piece to that is growing up as a kid, I did have dreams of owning a bookstore. I always loved to read. So I might have put that, but I actually feel like I need to go back and look because that's a great question.
0: (laughs) I mean, you did end up in the medical field, so it was kind of on track. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you were born and raised in Toronto, Canada, right?
1: Yes, yes. So how was that? Uh, I mean, I, in hindsight, I mean, you know, typical like childhood angst of like little things, but I think nowhere near what kids have to go through today. But I loved my childhood. I grew up with like a great group of girlfriends. We're still all friends today. I think though very interesting because I grew up obviously biracial um, with two immigrant parents. My mom was white from England. My dad was black from Africa. And I think the environments that I grew up were very indicative of that. Canadian culture is like, a melt a melting pot of multiculturalism it's a little bit different than what I've experienced here in the US but really fond memories of Canada and Toronto and then yeah a little bit of a culture shock when I moved up to New York I actually went to school for um, did a my first undergraduate degree was a, a degree in genetics and cell biology did some like pretty deep uh, genetics research after that and then went back to school and I decided not to be a doctor I wanted to go into nursing so did a combined Bachelor of Science um degree in nursing and then worked in hematology, oncology, I worked in public health and that's ultimately what brought me to the United States. I started Oh my god. Mm-hmm.
0: Tanya. <laughs> you are smart, smart. <laughs> uh, you
1: know. I was a bit geeky.
0: But I you said you your first degree was in
1: genetics? Yeah. So this was back, I, did, I went to McGill University and I did a genetics and cell biology degree, which was like really deep research. Um, at the time, it's so funny, I can age myself. And I tell this story because I just want young people to be so grateful for the tools they have. So this was back in um, 97, 98. And I mean, this just speaks to the power of computing. And you know, everyone always talks about how they missed that dot com. Like I didn't know a lot of people who were going into technology and computer science. And for me, when I was working on little different pieces of sequencing in the hum- human genome, it was arduous labor because the computing processes took so long. And now you think about the power of what you have in this tiny little cell phone that you carried around. Like, we did not have that. Tanya, you remember being in college and using dial-up Yep. You know, like this really ages me. But like when I was in high school and grade school, grade five, you'd go to the library and look, look up a book in an encyclopedia or using the Dewey Decimal System. So I feel like our generation is like right on the cusp of like how the power of computing really changed things. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And so I left that research and decided I wanted more people because my research really focused around Drosophila and flies and was pretty lonely. So I went the opposite route into medicine and just being in nursing, which I really feel like is an act of servitude. And I just got to be around people, you know, when they needed them most and just loved my career in nursing.
0: So what kind of nurse were you?
1: So I've done, one of the things I love about nursing is just sort of the portability of it. You know, you can Mm -hmm. work with different areas and specialties, but I started off working in public health and pediatrics. Two of my loves, like I loved, you know, my dad was an obstetrician and gynecologist. So I loved sort of the sexual health aspect. So I did a lot of work there. And then I went to pediatrics and eventually, very shortly, like nurses are hard workers. We work like 50 jobs at once. But um, I ended up specializing in hematology and oncology, which is like blood related cancers, doing bone marrow transplants.
0: How long were you a practicing nurse?
1: 12 years, like over a decade for sure.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were a nurse for 12 years. And now... And
1: here's the thing. I always like to say once a nurse, always a nurse, you know? (laughs) That is true. That That is true. Trust me, always, you know, I've been on planes. I've been all sorts of really random crisis situations where they're always like, is there a medical professional in the house And like... Yes. I'm well, really, I know really
0: firsthand right. because I think, when, I think we were doing a press run one time, and I think one of my assistants was like coming down with something, and you whipped something out of your purse. <laughs> I don't even remember what it's called, but it's something I'd never even heard of. And you were like, Put this in your water and drink it. You'll be fine in like 30 minutes. <laughs> it was like, what, I don't know what it was, but it was like she's been actively looking for it and has not found it since. But. I'll send
1: her the link. I know exactly
0: what you're talking about. So you were a nurse for 12 years, yeah. but now you're a businesswoman in the tech industry. Was there a first job or project that made you say, like, this is it, this is what I want to do?
1: You mean as it relates to getting into the tech industry?
0: Yeah, because now that you're mm-hmm. no longer a nurse and yeah. you looked
1: at as like
0: a, a, a solid businesswoman mm-hmm. and leader in the mm-hmm. tech space, was there one initial project that made you say, you know what, this is what I really want to do?
1: Oh, great question. So yeah, as I was sort of transitioning from working full time as a nurse and like working and like putting my dabbling my toes into understanding startups and technology here in Atlanta, I decided I wanted to sort of start my own company. And so I did, I started a company called Limitless Smart Shot. And the idea was, you know, I had one foot in this tech world with like some really deep tech hacker people in the cybersecurity space. And it was really funny because they would stay up all night coding and hacking, drinking like Mountain Dew and popping Adderall, like no joke. I was like nothing I'd ever seen, right? And they'd be like, "I'm coding for 16 hours straight," and then I'd go to work with all these super equally smart doctors and nurses, and they were relying on I mean, V, caffeine and all sorts of stuff as like kind of our brain food to like help us get through the day, make smart decisions. And I said, "There's got to be something better." And I sort of like went back to my days when I was working in neuro and, you know, traumatic brain injuries. And there was a lot of just different... Dietary supplements and natural things that we would do to support healthy brain health. So that's where Limitless Smart Shot came from. It was kind of like an energy boost for your brain. So I formulated this beverage, put it in a two ounce bottle, and basically started promoting it to people in my social circles like, hey, this will help you support healthy brain health and and increase your focus, attention, and memory. So like make you smarter on the job.
0: Wait, so you created like a like an energy drink? Mm -hmm. Do you still have that company? It was called Limitless Smart Shot.
1: Yep, I ran that for about four years or so. And then it was just acquired by another company who wanted to really take it on and grow it. So the formulation is out there, but I'm not managing it or running it anymore. And it was a trip.
0: (laughs) So how was that transition from nursing into like the entrepreneur and tech space for you?
1: I mean, very, very different. You know, it was it was really hard because I feel like I grew up in a family that was very medical focused. So making this leap into entrepreneurship, you know, it sort of forces you to put away all sorts of fears you have about a steady paycheck and you know, what it means to keep a job for, you know, the same job for your entire life. So it was certainly a leap for me as a female. I suffered infinitely from and still do sometimes from imposter syndrome, because a lot of the people around me were like PhDs in computer science. And, you know, you just I was like, I don't have a business degree. But the key to entrepreneurship is just being able to dive in, believe in yourself and every day make actionable steps to making your business a success. And so once I started to grasp that more and more, things got better. Right.
0: You know, I'm an entrepreneur myself, and there have been, there have been many times along my journey where I've felt like giving up and just going back to whatever. I never what did, but along this journey of yours, how many times, if any, did you feel like giving up and going back to nursing?
1: Often, you know, nursing is a security, right? You go to work, you clock in, you do the best you can, you save lives, and you get a paycheck. But you're limited by the hours that you can put into it. And so, you know, I started realizing I wanted to sort of optimize my ability to generate wealth, not just for me, but for my family, you know, my aging parents. And that became, like, really important to me. And I just wanted to push myself further and to do bigger and better things. So I think, you know, it's typical for every entrepreneur, you know, you have worry, you have doubts, and then you have to be the one to push those worries away and tell yourself, look, I'm betting on myself Mm -hmm. every day.
0: Yep. Yep. And since you've had, like, this last year has just been, you know, heartbreaking, with the pandemic and just all the racial injustice across country. But being a nurse during this past year, having that experience, how did this pandemic affect you?
1: The pandemic, you know, just to be very transparent, I struggled through the pandemic. You know, I feel like I have a very joyous heart in general and that's like a gift that I'm very you do. grateful for.
0: You definitely do. You do.
1: But I mean, it was really hard, you know, we, this was the second um, sort of pandemic I've lived through because if you remember SARS-1, it was in Toronto and I was actually in nursing school when SARS-1 hit. So I was doing my clinical practices and I remember very clearly the day, you know, I walked into the hospital in my scrubs, bright eyed and bushy tailed as like a second year nursing student and the world just crumbled because all of a sudden there was this deadly virus called SARS that was, you know basically blowing up Toronto. And so that was my first experience at a pandemic. And to be honest with you, I lost a nursing school teacher. I had a lot of friends who were really affected by it. So now we had COVID. And again, the same thing was happening at a much, much higher rate. I had a lot of friends who I had worked with in New York that were battling COVID firsthand, doctors, nurses that were exhausted. It was really scary for me. It was really scary for me.
0: And as just someone in, who has like the medical experience and background, what was like one thing that you did to like protect, yourselves, protect yourself and your family during this time?
1: You know, we were pretty vigilant. Atlanta was an interesting place to have SARS because the city was somewhat, it was a little bit, it had, it's somewhat open from a political state. But, you know, in our household, we really stayed, we stayed home you know, we were just unsure of what to do. So wearing masks, washing your hands, and we stayed home. I just got vaccinated. So um, I'm excited about that. And I hope that, you know, we can, the world can open up and I can go visit my parents and stuff. But I also found it like a good time to like outreach to other people. So for example, I ended up starting a book club. <laughs> yes, and, let's talk about it. Yeah. Tell me about the book club. So The book club was literally a little bit of salvation and joy for me. And I I love to read. I've always loved to read. And I've had just a book club with some of my friends that I do out of my house very organically. And so I went online to just, you know, folks online and said, who wants to read with me? Let's get together. I'm going to pick a book. Let's talk about it every week. And, you know, I would pull in the authors for the finale where we'd get to like be face to face on Zoom, talking to the authors and just created such an incredible community of people that wanted to read and talk about books and fun things and just share and find solace in community um, during a crazy COVID time.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I've seen it grow because I remember when you started it and I've seen it grow like tremendously. So I'm proud of you.
1: Oh, it's coming back strong. So it's just sort of the beginning. We're working on some partnerships. And, uh, you know, we're going to launch a new book um, in this month. So stay tuned, you guys. It's a good time.
0: <laughs> so Tanya Time, you're from Toronto, Canada. Yeah. You have a very bubbly... Personality. They always say Canadians are like super friendly and nice, which is very true. And like through me knowing you, I'm like that's that's the honest characteristic I would say. But I want to know like how you got to be on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I mean, I know, but I'm I'm sure a lot of like my listeners don't know. And I just want to know how like Canadian Tanya ended up in Atlanta and on the Real Housewives of Atlanta? Like, how did that happen?
1: Great question. I mean, really, it was kind of about opportunity. And here's the thing. They just sort of kept knocking at my door. Atlanta's like a sort of a small pond with a lot of different sort of rivers that feed into it. So, you know, there's a lot of different ecosystems and communities. And, you know, I kept watching the show and I've spent a lot of time in Atlanta, but just globally. And it was one of those things where I would travel all over the place and, invariably someone would be like oh my gosh you're black you're from Atlanta you know you got a little bit of swag to you They'd be like, do you know the housewives and I was like oh not really sort of sometimes I see them out and I wanted to be able to be my authentic self and sort of present just a different sort of woman to the show so that's what really made me consider doing it once you know people kept saying you should do it you should do it and so that's how I came on. And I came on as my true self, like quirky Canadian. And I think at first people were like, Huh? <laughs> <Is> she- <laughs> they didn't know how to take it. <laughs> no, they didn't, you know, and it's funny because I always say like, I can't read, I like to read. Which is like a very different <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah,
0: reading is not your thing. That's not no. like you know you know, that's not you. You know, games, it you know how to read a book. You know how to read a book.
1: And that, that's so funny because I make that joke and people are like, God, if there's not a joke that epitomizes you more than ever, it is, that is probably the corniest thing you could ever say. <laughs> yeah.
0: So how does your family feel about you being on the show, especially your, your African father? Who it like, you know, your immigrant father who, you know, is very much like you need to be a doctor, a lawyer. That's it. Yeah. Like you being on a reality TV show. How did how did your family, you know, receive that?
1: So interestingly enough, my dad's retired now. He spends half his time between Ghana and Toronto. And so most of the time the show airs, he's in Ghana. And it's incredible to me the reach this show has because I have a lot of Ghanaian fans, and they watch it there. And so there's a part of my dad that kind of likes it. But at the same time, you know, (laughs) it's been a little bit hard, because you have all these like crazy rumors and drama that you're pulled into. And Mm -hmm. you know, he's an elderly guy. So, you know, I have to give it to him with a grain of salt often and be like, Dad, we can't believe all these rumors. Because, you know, even for like, you know, my fiance's family and stuff. They're like, what?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's had its ups and downs for sure.
0: I mean, the press is brutal when it comes to, I guess I feel like all the franchises, but it's Mm -hmm. specifically the, the Atlanta one. And I don't know if it's because it's like an all black female cast, but yeah, I I was wondering like, how did he, especially like, you know, the last couple of, Mm -hmm. you know, season, it's been a rough one. And, I just was wondering how to, like, what, were they happy that you were on the show? I'm sure initially, because everyone likes to see their, their children shine, but, you know, with that shine comes like all the craziness and drama.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, de- I'll just speak for myself. Like, it was definitely at some points a little bit traumatic, you know? You've got yeah. to, because you, you've got to be able to, you know, people are, some people are horrible. And, you know, and there's a lot of internet, Tough times that you have to go through. And people, you know, when they're sitting behind their computer screens or on their phones, they can say whatever they want. And I think you often lose fact that like we are real people. So sometimes it was it was a bit tough. You know, we were all stuck in our homes watching this. People wanted salacious gossip. And then you realize like this is actually someone's life. So yeah, it 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 certainly was hard this season for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. But sending you hugs, as always. So you also serve on the board of Kate's Club, which is a nonprofit organization that empowers children that have experienced the death of a parent or sibling. Mm -hmm. Why did you get involved with this organization? Why is it important to you? And just tell me a little bit about that.
1: Oh, my gosh. So Kate's Club, I got involved, just to be frank and put it out there. um, I lost my mom when my sister and I were 11 and 12. So, you know, super Mm -hmm. young. And that was like decades ago, as I'm, you know, however old I am now. (laughs) I think in that time, it was it was such a different time that people weren't really out there talking about grief. You know, it was I, you know, my family did the best we could and I had such a great support system. But, you know, a lot of it was like be strong and stoic. And I can remember going to this like really weird church basement grief kids program and hating it because it was like dark and we just sat and we like stared at each other. And so then one day I was in a business meeting and this woman just was talking about how she had lost her mom and she started this Greek organization for kids. And I was like shocked that she could just So, you know, comfortably talk about it. So, I went up to her afterwards and she told me about this organization. And I said, I have to know everything about it. And that's really how I got involved with Kate's Club. It's a therapeutic grief organization based on like foundational therapies, but fun and inclusion and creates a community for kids between the ages of five and 18 who have lost a loved one, sibling, or parent. We have a clubhouse where, so most of our programming is in person. We'll, you know, fast forward through the pandemic where we've managed to take most things online, but, um, it's just been truly incredible for me. Oh, I love just, that. It's like very transformational. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So let's talk about just where you are today, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We've talked about how you've been, you were a nurse, how you kind of transitioned into the tech space, how you landed on Real Housewives of Atlanta, but I want to talk a little bit about like what what's happening in your life currently. You mentioned mm-hmm. early on that you're the host. Well, you didn't even share this. You're the host and, and a, a producer on this new show called Making of a Mogul.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's really popular overseas, right? And you're bringing the you're bringing the show to the U.S., right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, what is Making of a Mogul like? How do people get involved? Where do folks watch it? Like, tell me a little bit about that
1: show. Okay. I am so excited about this show and just what we've done with it. So it actually has been a long running show. They filmed over 120 episodes of this show throughout, you know, Africa, the Caribbean, and part of the UK, and they wanted to do a U.S. edition. So it actually um, had started before the pandemic and it was going to be a national Show, but we dove into the Atlanta market because there's so many incredible entrepreneurs here. And so we basically follow the lives of like incredibly successful business moguls across all industries. So we did 17 different entrepreneurs in Atlanta, and some of them are moguls in the making who have incredible stories and they are just on the pathway to greatness. And others are like the ones that are just so bossy. They're like, oh, by the way, last week I sold my company for 120 million cash. And this week I'm starting my next endeavor. So you just like, it's like mouth dropping, incredibly inspiring, aspirational success stories, because I truly believe that especially in communities of color, we need to highlight opportunities and different pathways to success and building multi-generational wealth within Mm -hmm. our communities. And we need representation to do that.
0: Exactly. I was going to say, like, you know, we need to see more of that, especially oh. in black and brown communities. So I love, 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 love that it's kicking off in Atlanta, which, you know, is like the hub for black excellence. I mean,
1: Atlanta just such an incredible place. Like it is a hub for black excellence. It's a hub for, you know, incredible entrepreneurs. And it's just, we've got more and more of it that just keeps pouring out of us. So I'm just like, so grateful to tell these stories. I can't, I just, it's, it's been incredible, and I mean, it's so motivating to me. It's just nuts to hear, like, from men and women, all the beautiful things that they built. I just love it.
0: So, who are some of the people featured on this first iteration in the U.S.? Because I imagine you want to take this, like, to different cities throughout the country, right? Yes.
1: So we're taking it on the road um, now that COVID's lifting, and you know the filming restrictions have been loosened, like across the country it's going to be great but um so if you're listening and you are a mogul in the making please email us follow us on the instagram making of a mogul send us your dms about why we should feature you so for example i just did an incredible story um jessica dupart is you know a new orleans born female she had her first kid at 15 her second kid at 16 and she started as a hairstylist which i think is something that resonates with so many people because how mm-hmm. I mean, you know, many hairstylists you know especially as black women that's kind of you know, hairstyling is the first form of entrepreneurship that a lot of us have been introduced to, but she launched her hairstyling business into creating hair, a hair product line called Kaleidoscopes, where she's done over $30 million in sales. What? Yes. She also, and this is completely aside from that, her girlfriend is so, so, deaf, the brat, but she's just incredible. She's incredible. Oh, she's wow. Incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of Kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. She's definitely a mogul. So she's a great example. We did, you know, this is the other side of the spectrum. An older gentleman, Mr. Moody, is in his late 60s. You know, he's been married for years and he is a construction mogul. He has made hundreds of millions of dollars quietly building some of the most historic buildings in Atlanta from the Mercedes-Benz stadium to the Martin Luther King monuments to, you know, the history museums, but like some of the most epic construction builds that you've seen in Atlanta and like that to me are the stories that we want to know because who knows about this quiet. Yeah. Up, you know, I love
0: like, the quiet stories. like success stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So we've got so many more examples like that. Another gentleman is in the technology space. His name is Tommy Duncan. And Mm -hmm. he um, has built several healthcare focused insurance companies with a technology basis over the past 10 years, he sold them. His last company he sold probably nine months ago, for $120 million cash. Wow, just like that. And he's now launched another company. It's called JetDoc. He's partnered with the former mayor, Cassine Reed, and everybody knows uh, Rick Ross, (laughs) Rich Forever, the rapper, to to form a company called JetDoc, which is a telehealth mobile app that connects you instantly with urgent care doctors for $10 a visit. So I call, I mean, their story is incredibly revolutionary, and I just call them healthcare superheroes because they're not only building, you know, these successful technology companies – they're trying to change the face of healthcare and how we as
0: people of color can have access to healthcare moving forward. I love that you're involved in this, Tanya, because <laughs> I feel like you love sharing stories of people who are really change makers in like the entrepreneur space. Obsessed with it. Like I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. And what about the ambition fund?
1: So the Ambition Fund, I launched that right before the pandemic. And, you know, that's another, and Trina, you're very familiar with this, but that was another incredible endeavor for me that really came out of Housewives. Because, you know, Housewives didn't really give me the opportunity to talk about, you know, what I was doing in the tech world very much. Mm -hmm. But I would get a lot of inbounds of people that would, you know, organically follow me on the internet, and they would be like, wow, you're in technology, we want to see more than that, or how can you help? And I realized, especially in, in communities of color, there was a lot of people, and this is why mobile is so exciting to me, that we're building companies, not just in the technology space, but also needed mentorship just to continue building whatever business they were building. So I wanted to create, be able to create a vehicle to help more and more entrepreneurs across different spaces. And so that's where we launched the Ambition Fund. And it's just been such a great opportunity to connect with more and more entrepreneurs. And like, I like to call it not disadvantaged founders, but undercover founders, you know, the ones mm. that don't get all the play in the media then uh, their voices are harder to hear. So just more ways that we can amplify voices and tell successful stories of how other people can, you know, create wealth for
0: themselves. I love it. I love it. And I feel like, especially during the pandemic, a lot of corporations, media publications, and just like investors have really put a lens and have been laser focused on black founders mm-hmm. and, underrepresented founders. So mm-hmm. I love, I love that you're also doing this and I'm excited to see like what comes out of making of the mogul. Cause I think it's a really dope concept. I love some of the people that you have already featured who've you listed and who you have not shared. Cause I want folks to tune in and I'm excited for this new chapter for you with is making so of a mogul. Exciting,
1: And I just, I mean, there's just so many incredible stories to be shared And it's Mm -hmm. funny, like, I tell this joke often, I'm like, where is the black farmer that has, you know, you know, 150 acres that is the person that supplies like the beef to Waffle House, you know, that just is like an incredible visionary entrepreneur in in a really different field that we don't think of, like, we want to come across all those stories and be able to tell those stories. Because, you know what, there are kids across the country that are looking for inspiration. And oftentimes, if we just don't tell these stories, how are we going to know? That's very true. Yeah.
0: So Tanya, one thing I know about you is that you love your apps. Yeah. So as a busy entrepreneur, host, producer, what are some of the technology apps that you use to like keep you Amazing. focused on the day, organized throughout the day. Like what are your top three? Cause I'm always
1: looking for some
0: to add to my, you know, my arsenal.
1: Okay. I'll tell you my favorite app that I just love to share with people. And it's something I definitely use every day, but one password. If you don't have a secure password keeper that links to your computers, your laptop, your phone, get one right now.
0: Wait, what is it called? Honestly, Tanya, I'm always forgetting my damn passwords. What is it okay. called? It,
1: no, seriously. This is like, I could go into Slack and Instagram and all the fun stuff that we use, but one password is a password keeper and it links and connects all your devices. It links to your Safari, your Chrome list. So every time you log into a website, it saves it.
0: So wait, is it hard to like set up? Cause that's no, my thing. I was going to do like last pass. I think it was before, but it was just
1: I like set to Here's the thing there is a small piece of it that is an investment where you have, once you start using it, you have to start inputting it, but it saves you infinite amounts of time. Not to mention the fact that, like, security is an issue, right? Like, you, it really is. It is an issue. So, you, and it's like, you cannot, the days where you have the same password, Bruno123, like, that's focus. Come on, people.
0: Um, don't put my password up. <laughs> no, that's not my password, but honestly, I do use like I need I need to do better. That's yes. all I'm gonna say, because I'm hard. I'm if I forget it, like I'm changing it every time, I don't write it down. and then when I need to go back and log mm-hmm. it again, I gotta reset it all. I'm horrible at it. Horrible. And
1: most so one pa- are, to be honest. Okay. most people totally are.
0: okay, so one
1: one password is one. One password. I mean, I love Slack for communicating with teams, anything. I feel like it is such an optimization of time because, especially in this this world where everyone wants a Zoom meeting, this, that, and the other, Slack is amazing.
0: It is. I was a slow adapter to Slack, but now it's it's my jam. It's my jam.
1: Mm -hmm. Love, love, love Slack. Else do I use? I love Calendly. And I will shout that company out because it's an it's an Atlanta-born unicorn, bootstrapped company. It's by black-owned, right? Yeah. Black-owned, yes. A, a Nigerian founder, and I mean, he just built such an incredible, incredible company. Big fan of them. Big. Fan. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. One password, Slack, and Calendly. Mm-hmm. These are your top three.
1: Those are my. T- I'm trying to think. Is there they- a
0: bonus one you want to share,
1: Tanya? I mean, I love Instagram obviously (laughs) i know you do (laughs) everybody's guilty pleasure (laughs) it is it is it's ridiculous but i also will share a couple more like i am a huge fan of reading so my kindle app is always open okay you know because i just feel like you can take books on the go i will tell you i use a period tracker because i've always been in this infertility piece of like trying to get pregnant not get pregnant just bag some eggs, so I use a period tracker. I'm literally looking through my top apps right now. I'll tell you my last one, which is also <laughs> very important: right. Insight Timer. Insight Timer is a meditation and well-being app. You guys, this was like integral to my growth and healing through COVID. If, if you have not meditated or if you're not into it, it's like the easiest introduction into how to meditate. There's like five minute meditations, there's 20 minute, and I just implore you to check it
0: out. Insight timer. Mm
1: -hmm. That's what it's
0: called. Okay. I'm writing these down y'all because I need to do better with my meditation. I took one meditation class on Peloton and that was it. Um, And I need to do better with my passwords. So thank you for those little nuggets, Tanya. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) So outside of making of a mogul, outside of you being a super undercover nurse who launched this limitless smart shot energy drink that no one knows about and you don't talk (laughs) about, outside of you being a, a book nerd, a carnival lover, What's one thing or misconception that people have about Tanya that you think is floating out there?
1: Mm, A misconception that floats around about Tanya. And it doesn't have to be housewife
0: related at all. Let's see. Because you're so much more than that.
1: You know, what's one thing that I think is really funny I think that people think if you're like super high energy and hyper that it's misconstrued as ditzy.
0: I've always found that really interesting. Let them know, Tanya. Yeah. you ain't ditzy. Let them know. I
1: always pull out pull really out your funny. your degrees. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that. Okay. What else can I say? You know, I think when people meet me in person, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm surprised you're so nice. Mm -hmm. Or like, that's who you really are. But I can, I understand it better now because I think the internet has like, you know, skewed a lot of people, you know, you'll meet someone in real life and people are afraid to like go up and say hello or stuff like that. So, um, you know, I am like so approachable because I'm just like, I don't know, who am I to say don't come up and talk to me, you know? So I think that's one thing. What else,
0: Rina? I mean, I think that's true because, honestly, I go off for energy when I meet people. Mm -hmm. I'm a very much, like, I sit back and analyze and see if I'm going to, like, vibe with you. And when I first met you, your energy and your, like, your energy level was, like, on 10. And you were just so nice and welcome. You gave me a hug. I was like, oh, I really like her. (laughs) And I was like, I'm gonna go hard for Tanya. Cause oh, I, I, I just love I just loved your energy. And I do believe that when people have that perception or of you, they do think like you're you're ditzy when you're when mm-hmm. you know you're not at all.
1: I think that's very interesting. That yes.
0: So coming out of the pandemic, because like you said, hopefully we're at the end of this thing. What's next for you outside of making up a mogul? Ooh.
1: More mogul, you know, I'm really excited to tell more of these stories. I'm really excited to meet more entrepreneurs and hopefully make some more key investments into some really great businesses. And you know, I'm just so open because I feel like with the pandemic, it has sort of incited like much more fuels and passion to do bigger things. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that also revolves around my book club. I want to be able to bring that community of people that like to read, people that like to write books to a bigger scale. So I'm also starting a couple initiatives to help amplify the voices of up and coming authors because I get so many outreaches from people through book clubs saying, hey, I'm writing a book. I can't find an editor. I can't find an agent, but I need to tell this story to the world. So I'm trying to figure out how to sort of break into and disrupt the publishing industry to see how we can amplify more voices out there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, similar to, you know, it's one of those really archaic industries that, you know, people are like, no, it only does it one way. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very true.
1: I like that a lot.
0: Yep. And so along your journey of becoming just this boss entrepreneur, this celebrity that people have fallen in love with on Housewives and on social media, What is, like, one piece of advice that at the beginning of this journey you wish you could have told yourself now that you look back on this path? Oh, my gosh. Because that's the thing. A lot of of times when people are going through – like the ups and downs of, you know, having a steady job, becoming an entrepreneur, debating whether or not they're going to go back and still like Mm -hmm. fighting to pursue their dream. There's a lot of emotions up and down and self-doubt and like mistakes and self-sabotage. So like, if you look back on like your path now, what would you offer to Tanya 12 years ago? Oh, Tanya 12 years ago,
1: just had so much less fear and doubt and take risks you know i feel like i ha- I, I came from a background and i kind of like you know prod my parents for this where you had to be so perfectly prepared to do anything meaning you had to you know and i mean this made sense when you had immigrant parents who were doctors and you had to go to school and you had to have a degree but i learned so much from like these visionary entrepreneurs Where they just have a mindset where you just go after it and go get it. Yeah, because perfection can be a dream killer. Perfection can be a dream killer. Mediocracy can be a dream killer. And, you know, the more and more I talk to these entrepreneurs, I realize they're like, there's this, you know, a couple, there's like these few narratives that I hear over and over no fear. If you fail, it doesn't freaking matter. Just figure it out, figure out the next best move and to make decisions fast. Because the best decision is the one you make and act on. And no matter what happens, you'll figure out the pathway to where you need to be. And I didn't understand that as a young person because, you know, I was in a very, very finite career of, you know, working in genetics, working in life or death medical situations. And that is not true in business. You are, Most businesses, you can make a decision and someone is not going to die in front of you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can fix it. Yeah. I love that Mm -hmm. because I mean, you know, you know, there's just so many times as you're going through whatever along your entrepreneurial journey, your journey at a nine to five, there's so much fear of the unknown, uh, -hmm. fear. There's also like a fear of success, right? So. I like the advice of like making a decision fast and acting on it. Don't wallow and make sure like don't wallow in the fact of like making sure everything's perfect because yes. that that's a dream killer. Like for years like when I started out that's one thing that I definitely did was like try to always make sure that everything was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um and again I think it comes to like comes from our upbringing, you having immigrant parents. I grew up in single parent household, and I just wanted to like make my mom proud. So it's just don't sit and while just act that, fast and like
1: keep it that going. Absolutely, That's, I think is just so so key. So I think that um, and networking, networking, mm. networking, networking. I will say that one of the I think the key pillars to success is being able to have people around you that can support you and pushed you to excellence. So have a great circle of people who are your cheerleaders, because oftentimes you might be working on something and people are like, Ooh, I don't know. That sounds risky. So just find people that can be in your corner and just help support each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Tanya, anything else we missed or didn't cover today?
1: No, this was great. Drina, how are you doing? Like what's next for you?
0: I'm just out here trying to kill it. Yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> I literally I love just it. <laughs> like I never ever talk like that either. Honestly, I'm good. I'm just trying to Keep with PR growing, which we've grown like tremendously over the year. I'm so blessed and fortunate. And like you said, I've had people like recommend me for opportunities that I were never even on my radar. So it's always great to have a circle of people who support and love you and speak your name Mm -hmm. in rooms that you're not in. And I mean, when we were working together, Tanya, I think I had, it was just me and Kendra at the time. Mm -hmm. And now I have like a staff of like 10, which it just blows my mind.
1: I I know it's, it's wild. This isn't a video podcast, but I'm literally doing like a happy dance (laughs) in the air for you right now. It's wild. It's wild. So um I'm just trying
0: to keep it going, work with amazing people who let me share their stories. Specifically, I love you know this. I love telling the stories of black and brown founders and um mission driven sort of organizations. So I'm good.
1: Great. I love to hear that. I love to
0: hear that. And Tanya, when pandemic is over, we need oh to go on God. another trip because I feel like we had so much fun. We had
1: so much fun. So
0: we're going to make that happen. Absolutely. I cannot wait. I
1: cannot wait. Uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) What? It was great. It was such a great little
0: getaway. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me today. I love you. And I'm so proud of you. And I can't wait for folks to see Making of a Mogul. It's going to be so good.
1: Me too. Okay, so thank you, Drina. I just love chatting with you. You just like set my day on fire. So I appreciate you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you.